Well, hello, Christ Chapel, and hello to all of you joining us at all of our campuses, uh, West Campus, South Campus, Converge, Hive, Internet Campus. Uh, so glad that we get to open the scriptures together with you uh, this weekend. Uh, for those of you that I didn't get to say it to personally, a happy Veterans Day to you. Thank you to all of our veterans. I know that was this past Thursday, but I don't think it's ever too late to say thank you to you. So thank you for your service, uh, not only your personal service, but the service your family has played in giving us the freedom to be able to even gather and worship uh, today. Uh, okay, I was listening to a podcast this last week, and it was talking about different things about communication, uh, but it was talking specifically about how communication through television shows have changed the way that writers have written these shows. And what they were highlighting was uh, now with the emergence of streaming services, and I know this happened way back when with DVR or even TiVo, uh, if you remember that, back in the day, uh, that because people can now watch multiple shows at one time, it's allowed the writers to write more complex stories, uh, to develop deeper plots, to give deeper character development because you can watch three shows in a row or some people binge watch an entire season of a show in, in a weekend. And all of those intricacies can get woven in. And they were comparing it to back in the day when those things didn't exist, when you had to sit down at five o'clock if you wanted to watch Home Improvement. And if you, do y'all remember that show? Okay, all right. You know, so they were talking about how those shows, when you had to sit down, those sitcom shows that you were going to miss if you missed that time slot, if you weren't sitting down, they had to be very simple. They, they, they couldn't develop a whole lot of those things because they didn't know if you saw the last episode, if you missed it because you were late from work or had a flat tire or something else. But now we can write very complex stories. I thought that was really interesting and try to apply it in different ways. But one of the things that this reminded me of is just an axiom when it comes to television shows in general. And that's this. When the superstar leaves the show, the show is never the same. Right? I mean, when the, when the star of the show leaves the show, the show is never the same. When Steve Carell left the office, the office was not the same. Robert California? No. Come on. You know, they, they picked it up a little bit, in my opinion, with Andy Bernard, but when Michael Scott is gone from the office, the office is not the office. It's just not, not the same. And I've heard people tell me this is true about other television shows as well. I heard that when Dr. McDreamy left Grey's Anatomy, that it wasn't the same. I have no idea who that is, never watched Grey's Anatomy. I also heard that when Kourtney Kardashian left Keeping Up with the Kardashians, that no one else wanted to keep up with the Kardashians. When the star of the show leaves the show, the show is never the same. That is true of television shows. But why is that not true of the Bible? Why is that not true with Scripture? Why is it not true that when Jesus leaves the scene, the show doesn't only end, but the show actually gets better? It never happens in television. But it's what happens in Scripture, and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you will, open your Bibles to John chapter 16. 
John chapter 16, uh, we're going to pick up at the end of verse 4. We're going to go through verse 11. Just a very short segment that I want us to focus on. And we're going to read the entire section together. So I do want you to have a copy of the scriptures, no matter what campus you're attending or if you are uh, uh, at home or on the internet campus. Uh, We're going to continue our series, Poured Out, where Jesus is pouring out his heart to his disciples the night before he would be crucified. And the reason why we're studying this particular portion of scripture is because, remember, he's pouring his heart into his disciples so that his disciples would now embody his heart on the earth. And we want to embody Jesus' heart as we are called to reach those in our own backyard who don't know Jesus. And the way that we're going to reach them is first by embodying his heart, by being his disciples. And that's what Jesus is trying to do this last night, is pour his heart into them so that they would represent him. And remember, we talked about this uh, in John chapter 15. I'll pick it up there. We've obviously started in John chapter 13. But in John chapter 15, remember, you are the branch. Jesus is the vine. What fruit do we bear when we're connected to him? Fruit that looks like him. And so Jesus says, always remain connected to him. But then he goes on, he says, now, but if you look like me, then you will be treated like me. And that was the beginning, the end of chapter 15, beginning of chapter 16. They're going to hate you because they hated Jesus first. And if you're bearing his fruit, that means you look like him. And so he's trying to prepare them for the life to come. And so now he's going to talk about another aspect, and this is going to give you some insight into why the world will hate those who look like Jesus as he prepares them for the next revelation of what's going to happen in his work in the world. And he's going to actually tell them that when he leaves, it's going to be better. When the star of the show leaves, he says, don't worry, guys, it's going to get better. Read along with me, beginning in Uh, the second part of verse four of chapter 16. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning. What is he talking about there? I didn't tell you that you were gonna be hated. Now, why did he not tell them that? I know I'm taking a break, but why did he not tell them that? It's because he himself was on the earth absorbing the hate of the world. So it's all directed at him. Now when he leaves, it's gonna be directed at his disciples, those who look like him. So he says, I didn't tell you those things to you from the beginning because I was, I was with you. I was getting all the hate. But now I'm going to him who sent me, God the Father, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he breaks it down. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. May God bless the reading of his word and may our hearts be open to hear from him. So this is obviously this night, everything that he's told them is blowing their minds as far as what he's saying. And right now he's telling them something that I think is gonna be 
pretty much the most uh, mind-blowing thing that he said up to this point, and that's it. When I leave, it gets better. When the star of the show goes, this is going to get better. None of us would believe that. If we were with Jesus, nobody would believe it. Think about the things that Jesus has done in his presence. He's healed people. He's fed thousands of people with just tiny little uh, portions of food. He's turned water into wine. I mean, he's raised someone from the dead, called Lazarus out of the tomb. He's done these miraculous things that no one has ever seen before. But don't worry, guys. It'll get better when I leave. It, it, it almost seems like there's a no way. But the reason why he says it's going to get better is because he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. We believe in a triune God. Three persons, one God. There's only one God. Three persons equal in value, equal, uh, equal in substance, in essence. But the Holy Spirit is now going to come to the world. And that's why he says it's going to get better. And I want to break down why he says that, but our focus is going to be on the Holy Spirit. And I highly recommend, if I don't get to say it again, that you go and look on the back of your sermon notes because there is a full list, top to bottom of the back of your sermon notes, that has a list of everything that the Holy Spirit does in Scripture that we know of so that you can do a more in-depth study of the Holy Spirit. Props to Lori Egner who lays out our notes. She does a fantastic job uh, every week. Uh, but I want to break down just in these verses why he's telling them it's going to be better when he leaves and sends a new star of the show, the Holy Spirit. So beginning on your outline here, the Holy Spirit's beneficial ministry was only possible with Jesus's departure. The Holy Spirit's beneficial ministry was only possible with Jesus's departure. Remember, Jesus has told his disciples, even in the passage that we've studied, that he's going away, but he says, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you alone as orphans. I'm going to send someone to you. And, uh, you know, it, it's, and it's God himself. And they saw God in the flesh in the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. Now he's going to send the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to be with them. That's why he says it's going to be better. But he has to leave. Look back at 4b through 7. I want to go back through that. When Jesus says, I didn't say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. Who is that? A little bit louder. The Father, thank you. Yes, he's going to back to the Father. And that will play into what we're going to go through in just a second. He's going back to him who sent him. Jesus came on a mission. And his mission would be accomplished. We'll talk about that in just a second. But he says, none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, now sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'm going to tell you the truth. He's all... Jesus is always a truth teller, always tells them the truth. It is to your advantage or your benefit that I go away. Because if I did not go away, then the helper will not come to you. 
But if I will go, I will send him to you. I'll send him right back to you so that you will not be alone as orphans. Now, one of the things that stands out in these verses as you've been following along is the first thing you're gonna say is, hold on, Cody, I thought that, that Peter asked Jesus where he was going. And now Jesus says, hey, none of you has asked me where I was going. And I think this is in the nature of the question that they're asking. Jesus has been trying to set up with his disciples that he's going to leave them really ever since the beginning of his ministry. He's been telling them this. But he's definitely told them this more than once throughout this upper room discourse, these final hours. And so what I think he means when he says, hey, none of you asked me where you're going, what they're saying is not, Jesus, tell us what you're going to and what you're going to accomplish. What they're saying is, why are you leaving me here alone? What about me? They have a very selfish perspective. And Guys and gals, I don't blame them. I'd be asking the same question like, hey, I hitched my wagon to you, Jesus. What's going to happen to me? You just told me everybody's going to hate me. Like, who's going to protect me? I know you could, but now if you leave, who's, who's going to watch over me? So it's a very selfish perspective, and I think that's what Jesus is highlighting is, none of you have really asked me where I'm going and what I'm going to accomplish You see, selfishness always limits our perspective. It always does. And sometimes we need a broader perspective to think outside of ourselves. And that's what comes when the Holy Spirit comes. But he says that that will only come when he leaves. Now, a great question, the second question you should be asking yourself is, why does Jesus have to go for the Holy Spirit to come? You're all asking that question, right? Why does he have to go? Well, I've listed these on your sermon notes so that you understand why Jesus has to go in order to send the Holy Spirit. First, if Jesus didn't go, then our sin would not be atoned for. Remember, Jesus came on a mission, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, that Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. Remember, that ransom idea is the payment idea. It's where we get our word redemption, to buy back. So in order to buy, that, buy us, sinners, back to himself, he had to pay the ransom. What was the ransom? It was his life. Hebrews 9, 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So the only way we'd be bought back with his ransom is by the shedding of his blood. He had to go so that our sin would be atoned for. Second, if Jesus didn't go, then we wouldn't have someone to intercede on our behalf. We know from Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25, that now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. That is both in, I believe, Cody believes, in both positive ways and negative ways. That when we pray to God, Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And he says, God the Father, you know, this, this, these, these, are, these are mine. You gave them to me. And so I intercede for them to, to meet their needs, to, to meet the things that they're praying for. We hear their prayers. He's having conversations about you and me with God the Father. But also interceding for us in a negative way, meaning that when we sin, he's telling the Father, I paid for that one. And I paid for that one. I paid for that one too. 
gosh, Cody, you did that again, but I'll pay for that one. Thought you learned your lesson last time, but that's okay. Love you anyway. Paid for that. Interceding both positively and negatively. If he didn't go, we wouldn't have our sin atoned for. Therefore, he wouldn't be interceding at all on our behalf at the right hand of the Father right at this very moment. And then third, if Jesus didn't go, then the ministry would be confined by his proximity. The ministry would be confined by his proximity. Look all throughout Scripture, and wherever you see God's presence, you see God's power. Always. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. Wherever God's presence is, that's where his power is. So if Jesus, Jesus took on flesh, so he was not physically in multiple places, even though we believe God triune is omnipresent, but God, Jesus in the flesh, the second person of Trinity, was limited to one location. And wherever he was, you saw his power, his wonder-working miracle power. But you didn't see it when he wasn't there. Now, could he do things from afar? Absolutely. He healed someone from afar. We know that from the New Testament. But his presence was limited by his proximity, and so his power was limited to his proximity. And so he says, it's better if I go because now I send the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit now indwells every believer. Not one person, multiple people. His presence is multiplied throughout the earth. It's better, it's to your advantage if he goes away. Because when he sends the Holy Spirit, it's not something new that begins to happen. The Holy Spirit just has a different role, just like every person of the Trinity has a different role in redemption. But the Holy Spirit has a different role. You see, the Holy Spirit continues God's work of reconciling the world to himself. The Holy Spirit continues God's work of reconciling the world to himself. God the Father sends the Son. Remember John chapter 3, verse 16. God sends the Son. The Son atones for our sin. Now the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's, that's, the, that's how they all play a role in continuing this role in reconciliation. You see, we as disciples, we don't usually focus, uh, those of you who have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, we don't particularly focus on this part of the work of the Holy Spirit. We focus on what was said in John chapter 14, where Jesus is the comforter. And we go, oh yeah, I need some comfort. But hey, the world needs to be convicted. Just like you needed to be convicted as you were a part of the world before you were chosen out of the world and called his son or daughter in Christ. The Holy Spirit convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what he talks about here in verses 8 and 11. That when it's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit comes, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they did not believe. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So all of these hang, sin, righteousness, and judgment, all of them hang really on the, the one verb, convict. Now that is a strong word. 
and sometimes a scary word. And it probably should be. This word convict is actually a legal term that was used to expose misdeeds. Or another way, I wrote this down, a commentator said, to bring someone to acknowledgement of personal guilt. That's what this conviction is. And he says, I'm going to send the world to those who do not believe in me to expose their personal guilt. But don't forget this. The Holy Spirit is exposing personal guilt in a gracious way so that a person will be reconciled to God. That's the reason. The Holy Spirit is not convicting you simply to condemn you. It's because he wants to show you your need for Christ and draw you to God. That's why he wants to save you. He's telling you of that need. See, none of us really want a solution to anything until we realize our need. Right? Until we realize we need something, I don't want anybody's help. I want to do it in my own way. I mean, how many of you have, uh, you've bought a lot of stuff online this past couple years, I know, but you've bought something online and you've got to put it together? How many of you get out the instructions first thing? Only a few of you, God bless you. Most of you, until you need help, you go, I know how this goes together, I'll fix this. I mean, it's, it, I'm smart enough to do it all by myself. Until I know that I need help, I'm not going to the instructions. I'll give, you, I'll give you another example. I have a, a sensitive tooth right now. Do I want the dentist to do anything about it? Nope. <laughs> I'll live with the pain, baby. Pain's not bad enough. Now, I'm sure the pain could get real bad. And then who do you think I'm calling? I'm calling the dentist. But this kind of nagging pain just every once in a while, I'll deal with it. Not, not a big deal. And I think many of us think that way about our own sin. It's not that bad. I can deal with it. I can live with it. It just hurts every once in a while. I don't really want to get it fixed. I don't really want to deal with it. That, that's going to take time. And that's going to take some effort going there. I don't, don't really want to deal with that root of the problem. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for Jesus is so we will expose the root and get the actual help that we need. See, the Holy Spirit has these different roles in reconciling the world. And I wanna show you how he's gonna convict the world in these three different ways. First, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of the sin of unbelief in Jesus as Savior. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of the sin of unbelief of Jesus as Savior. When you think about the Holy Spirit convicting you, for those of you who are believers, you've placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is definitely convicts you of sin because our sin grieves or can even quench, throw a wet blanket on the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why for those of you who are believers, when the Holy Spirit is moving you, prompting you, speaking to you through God's word, obey, obey. But he's not talking to disciples here. He's talking to the, about the world. He's talking to disciples, but he's talking about 
what the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. And he doesn't say the world convicts them of sins. He's not convicting them of lies and cheat and steal and all those kind of things. What he's convicting them of is one particular sin, and that is the sin of unbelief in Jesus. Why? Why is the Holy Spirit only convicting him of, of the world of one sin? It's because that is the only sin that is unforgivable. Think about it. If you place your trust in Jesus Christ, every sin is forgiven. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. Never to be brought back against you. Glory, hallelujah, praise God. But if you don't have a relationship with him, all your sin is on you. So why in the world would the Holy Spirit want to convict you of the time when the, the waiter gave you back too much change and you didn't say anything when he goes, you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. You need to believe in him for all those other sins to be forgiven. <laughs> You've got to place your trust in him. That is the one unforgivable sin. That, that won't be forgiven. That will condemn someone to hell. That's why the Holy Spirit wants to expose that of their unbelief in Jesus because that's the root and that's where it begins. Place your trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and all the rest of the sins are forgiven. That's why he convicts them of that one particular sin. Second, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of the righteous standard of God. The righteous standard of God. He says, you know, concerning uh, righteousness... He says, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. And you go, how does that make sense? What he's saying is the righteous standard for you to be in the presence of God is Jesus, is perfect holiness. And none of us meet that standard. None of us measure up unless we're clothed in Jesus's righteousness. If we're clothed in his righteousness, then we can enter into the presence of God. Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life. That's why he was able to go to the Father and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father. Because he does not have, he was sinless. He can be in the presence of a holy God. We cannot. And so the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of this righteous standard of in order to be right with God, it's perfection. And there's only one person who is perfect, and that's Jesus. None of the other good works matter. He, actually, Isaiah says all of those good works are as filthy rags before God. They don't, they don't measure up in any way. You can be a great uh, philanthropist. You, you can be a, a charitable giver. You, you can serve at the dog shelter. You can do all of these wonderful things. But if you don't believe in Jesus and you don't live a sinless life, then the Holy Spirit is convicting you and will ultimately convict you of judgment. See, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of judgment. What is that judgment? That Satan, sin, and death have been defeated. That if you are living a, a part of the kingdom of this world, that kingdom has fallen. That kingdom has been destroyed, and it's a dead end. You may think it's going well, but it's crumbled at its foundation. And everything it is is a mirage. 
See, Satan, sin, and death have been defeated. And all of this happened at the cross. That's where all of this happened. How do we know that, uh, you know, the, the sin of unbelief? Well, they should know that at the cross, when Jesus died at, on the cross and then was resurrected and then ascended, you should know that he conquered sin. You should know that he is righteous. That was the, the resurrection's provement that his payment was sufficient to a holy God. You should know that sin and death was judged because sin could not hold him. Death could not hold him. The wages of sin is death. So all of these things condemned at the cross, and that's what the Holy Spirit's role is, is to magnify Jesus. It's always to point back to him. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. That's why he's convicting the world of these three particular things. And so what does that mean for us? It means this, that the Holy Spirit extends God's work in the world through every believer through every believer now hang with me here because when we talk about the holy spirit or some of you grew up maybe with a tradition calling the holy spirit the holy ghost we oftentimes think about it as this very ethereal kind of floating thing out in the world almost like a fog that settles in And what Jesus says is, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment as a fog in the city. He affects the world through every believer. Look at who he's talking to. Look back at verse seven. Jesus says, if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to whom? To you. Let that sink in for a second. The Holy Spirit is sent to you, not only as a comforter, not only so that you know that you aren't alone and left as an orphan, not only so that you will be guided in the truth, not only so that you will remember everything that Jesus has said, but the Holy Spirit is coming to you so that through you, the world will be convicted of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Does that help add a little context as to why the world hates you? That when the world sees Jesus through you, they feel condemned. I mean, I'm just stating it biblically here. And and I know you go, Cody, that doesn't do a whole lot for my friendships. Well, I hope that changes. Because we don't have to to live out our Christian life in in a condemning way, but that we let the Holy Spirit work in and through us us to do its work in the world, remembering that the world can, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, the world, uh, this Holy Spirit has convicted you of sin, righteousness, and judgment at one point in your life, and you place your trust in him, and now you know the freedom and the forgiveness that comes through Jesus, the eternal abundant life that comes through him. The Holy Spirit worked in your life in that way. And so here's what that means for each of us. First, pray that the Holy Spirit would convict people of what you cannot convince them. Pray that the Holy Spirit would convict people of what you cannot convince them. Back, I know this was a long time ago, but back when we did the vision sermon on September 26th, 
And we talked about reaching the 800,000 in our own backyard. That's within a 10-mile radius of each of our campuses. We talked about by the end of this year, there would be two people that you shared the gospel with. Two people. Those are two people that you need to be praying for right now. Not getting ready to fight in an argument. Not getting ready to try to convince them of anything but praying that the Holy Spirit would begin to convict and move in their hearts. What would our backyard look like if we prayed more and argued less? It would look a lot different. Let's begin to pray that the Holy Spirit works in these people's hearts to convict them because only the, we're asking, when we want people to come to know Jesus, we're asking for a miracle to happen. And only God can do miracles. Your words, my words, cannot do miracles. I can argue with somebody till I'm blue in the face, and it's not gonna do any good if the Holy Spirit is not a part of it. So we need to pray first, pray more. Pray for those two people that you thought of a few months ago, that Lord willing, you'd be able to share the gospel with them in the future, that the Holy Spirit would begin to work in their life. And I know that the, ho- the holidays are coming up too. And many of you are gonna be around family, friends. Now you begin to pray. Now begin to pray for them and those conversations. Not that you have to force stuff. I'm telling you, when the Holy Spirit begins to work and you're in step with the Spirit, it becomes obvious. Pray now, which leads to the second one. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit so he can display Jesus through you. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit so he can display Jesus through you. You see, really, what I I think he's talking to the disciples here about how the Holy Spirit convicts the world is as the world sees Christ in us. And if you're in step with the Spirit and the Spirit is producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then people are like, oh my gosh, like, I I need that, I want that. That's, That's my own testimony. That when I was 16 years old, there was a great guy, Matt Smith, thank you, love you, buddy, who I saw, who was a year older than me on our soccer team, and the first conversation that I had with him was basically, I didn't, I'm paraphrasing here, but I basically told Matt, I want what you have. I don't know how else to say it. You've got something different than I got, and I want that. What was Matt doing? You know what Matt was doing at that very time? He was reading his Bible on the bus. Just keeping in step with the Spirit. Just being obedient to God. Reading Scripture. Saying, God, I'll be obedient to you today. And here comes this lonely dude named Cody who says, I want what you have. Would you teach me whatever you got there? That's the Holy Spirit working to me, in, in me, but me seeing the fruit of that life through somebody else and going to him and saying, I want what you have. And he didn't say, do it like I do it. He pointed me to Jesus, which leads us to our last point. Offer Jesus to someone under guilt, condemnation, and judgment. To leave someone under guilt, condemnation, judgment, to leave someone under those feelings, to leave someone in pain now that they know their need, I I mean, that's just sadistic. Why would you ever do that? But you, my friend, may be the person that gets to offer Jesus to them 
And you go, well, uh, no, Cody, uh, I'll just uh, invite them to church. That doesn't save them. You know that, right? What saves them is if they place their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. And so you get to offer Jesus to them. That's why we had our whole Everywhere You Go seminar on evangelism training yesterday to help equip you that wherever you go, you can tell people about Jesus. Because if they don't hear, they cannot believe. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 and 15. Starts off with this wonderful assurance that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And by the way, if you are hearing me today and you have not placed your trust in Jesus Christ, today is the day. That stop trusting whatever you're trusting in and place your trust in him and in him alone as the only way that you can be made right with God. He is the only payment. He substituted his life for you to build the bridge to a holy God. Place your trust in him today because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul goes into these rhetorical questions. Well, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And you don't have to be preachy about it. Just as the scripture talked about last week, testify. Just tell them the difference that Jesus has made in your own life. And how are they to testify unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Christ Chapel you are sent. You are sent to testify about Jesus and to put him on display with the power of the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can continue the work of God in our world, not just convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but bringing them to belief and eternal life in Jesus. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for so much that you've done in our lives and in our fellowship and in our church. Lord God, may we put Jesus on display knowing that the more that we highlight him, the more we give room for the Holy Spirit to work. May he be our only message that we preach. He is our firm foundation. And so Lord Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent to us. Would he not only be a comfort to us, but Lord Would you go before us and convict those that we love, those that we care for? Would you bring them under gracious conviction so that you can redeem them, buy them back to yourself so that we might each have another brother and another sister in Christ? We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.